to ESPN's very limited coverage of the Atlantic 10, baby! I'm Dick Vitale, and my tummy has still got the rumblies from my Tampa Bay Bucks making the Super Bowl. But luckily, I still got my Pepto-Bismol. Oh, okay, I'm ready to do this. Let's start with the number one diaper dandy in the Atlantic 10, Mustafa Amzil from the Dayton Flyers. You know, talking about Dayton in 2021 means you're still required to mention OB Toppin at least three times per minute. Well, Amzil's got the potential to be a real ptp -er like OB, baby. This freshman forward is the Finnish OB. <laughs> I may be going to Helsinki after this pandemic. Wait, I need one more OB mention. Uh, he can dribble a basketball and so can OB. There we go. Lorraine, give me more Pepto. Oh, thanks. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, that's the good stuff. Okay, the biggest high riser in the A-10, Jalen Attaway. I'm telling you, Fight 33 is all about the dipsy doo dunkaroos. Even though he's only 6'5", he's playing much bigger like a human spaceship, baby. In fact, this whole Bonnie's team is so good, we actually have to pay attention to them. Normally ESPN only has to pay attention to the Davidson Steph Currys, but Mark Schmidt has got his team dishing the rock, and Jared Holmes is super scintillating sensational. That's why I'm doing the intro for a podcast hosted by the two guys approved by the VBDI, the Vital Ball Dome Index. Hey there, SP Unfurl and Lil Bon X. You guys are awesome, baby. Uh, oh no, SP Unfurl and Friends, episode 21, baby. Lorraine, more Pepto, please. Episode 21 of SB Unfurled and Friends. Lil Bon X here with SB Unfurled. Hey, happy 21st. I wish we could go out and uh, have a live show at the Burton for this one. <laughs> it seems like we were just talking about being uh, legal in Canada. Now, we, now we're now we full-blown legal everywhere. Pretty soon we'll be, exactly. we'll be uh, you know, baby boomer age. Yeah, let's not think about that. Let's just think about how we can, we can throw away the fake ID or whatever. <laughs> Whatever procurement needs you have, we are 21. We are here coming off a win over Duquesne that was not nearly as pretty as the VCU win or even the first Duquesne win. Also going to get you ready for George Mason, which is the surprise of the week that we're playing them instead of Davidson. Yep. We had a great show, an incredible show with an incredible guest planned for the Davidson game. But we were we were gonna hold on to that one until we play Davidson because I think it will be well worth the wait. It was great uh, having Steph Cur- Steph Curry on and interviewing him for a little bit. Um, yep. Yeah. We'll Steph have to hold Curry, it though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll we'll talk to Steph Curry later. But 
We are going to talk about Duquesne. As I'm looking up right now, we're recording this Wednesday night, and Duquesne is up by 31 on Fordham. So Duquesne mm-hmm. played a lot better than they did on Saturday. So Fordham with a new logo and a new coach. A new logo, new coach. The Jeff mm-hmm. Newbauer era has officially ended, unfortunately. But before, we already played Fordham. We're talking about Duquesne. I don't really want to remember much of that game other than mm-hmm. that we won. What do you take away from that went over Duquesne. I didn't remember much of that game um, because it was a late Saturday. One of my friends was in town and we got after it pretty much all day. So I had to go back Sunday and study game film. Yeah. To kind of help my, and it also helped my bills anxiety. I wasn't pacing around the house all day Sunday waiting for that game. So I went back and watched it. Did you have any Pepto-Bismol for the bills game, by the way, speaking of Dickie V? <laughs> Yeah, I did. I did. I, I needed I needed all the meds for that one. <laughs> um, but, you know, and, and people on Twitter were talking about how bad the refs were, and it was good to just go back. I didn't get to hear the, the announcers or really, you know, I honestly don't even remember Dan Brat freaking out as much as he did, so I went back <laughs> and watched it. But, you know, Duquesne looks good right now, and I'm as, as much as it sucked not to play St. Louis – I am kind of glad that we got that road win out of the way. I'm not going to complain about that at all. I think Duquesne is going to figure it out. They have, they have some good freshmen. And after Sincere Carey leaving and Austin not playing and, and all these guys in the, the roster turnover, I think they will figure it out by the time we would have played them in March. So I am glad that we got it out of the way when we did when they're not very cohesive. But, um, yeah, you saw you saw somewhat of a – a disheveled, disorganized, ugly win. But hey, if it's a road win in the A10, I don't care how pretty it is. Uh, you just gotta, you gotta get out of wherever we were. we weren't even in Pittsburgh. Wherever we were, get out of there. <laughs> I was gonna <laughs> say, on top of all of the things you said about Duquesne, at least right now, as of Wednesday, looking like they're rounding into a little bit of better form now that they are getting used to not having sincere carry on the roster. Yeah, we would also be playing at the new Duquesne Arena because. Mm-hmm. As far as I've heard, it's supposed to be opening up next week when they play at Dayton on ESPNU. Big stop, star show there, apparently, for Duquesne at their new arena that is even post-pandemic will only have like 1,500 people and plenty of social distancing. But besides <laughs> that, I think we got to get into, first off, the first half, Jalen Shaw coming in relief for Oshun when yeah. Oshun had a game where he did get into foul trouble. He had two fouls for the entire game, but unfortunately those two fouls were in the first five minutes. I was very impressed with Jalen Shaw. He was very aggressive on both ends. He was looking for the man to pass on offense, which is something we may not have seen out of Amadi Akpizi last year. Mm-hmm. I love Amadi, but as we told 3-Bid League, I, I don't trust Amadi with the ball for more than like three seconds, yeah. as I'm sure most of you didn't. He had some aggressive plays on defense. I think uh, Michael Hughes was 7 of 11, 15 points. Not sure how many of those were against Shaw. I don't think Michael Hughes exactly dominated or took Jalen Shaw's lunch money from him. But I think Shaw held his own in that matchup. So what would you think of Shaw? You know, we talked about this on the last episode, talking about how important it was for Oshun to stay out of foul trouble because I said if Hughes can come in after Oshun picks up two quick fouls, I think that he's going to kind of really impose his will, get his size going, um, and even on the defensive end, he's a very good defender. 
So I was really worried when Ocean went out after four minutes because I was like, oh, this is exactly what we were worried about. And Shaw came in and we were down a few points. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a huge deficit, but we were down five, six, whatever it was. Um, within four minutes, we tied the game and took the lead and we had the lead the rest of the half really up until halftime. I can't remember if it was tied or they had a one point lead. It was really close to half either way. Um, Shaw came in and did exactly what we needed him to do in that game and more, I think. So not only was it great for that game, but I think it also gives Schmidt confidence going into a game like St. Louis where, um, down the road, if we play St. Louis, hopefully sometime soon. Um, if Ocean picks up two fouls, he'll have a little more confidence in Shaw. If Oshu needs a breather, um, I don't think it'll be like, uh, you know, it was the few games leading into Duquesne where Shaw only played one, two, three minutes. This should be a confidence booster for Shaw and for Schmidt. And I, I don't see why he can't give us, you know, four or five minutes each half, uh, especially around the media timeouts to get Ocean some some breathers. Yeah, and I think we really saw the need to develop some guys on our bench when we all saw the news that Jalen Attaway was a game-time decision. He didn't start. But for some reason, after four minutes, like after the first media timeout, he came back in and then played the entire game. He played 36 (laughs) minutes after the first four, which I don't quite get. I'm glad he was... You know, not only able to just be out there, but really he was crucial down the final stretch with a couple dunks on offense. And then he had a great block in the corner on, I don't know if it was a three or if it was a deep two, but he had a great block when Duquesne was trying to cut it to two. I believe it was two. And it was a great performance out of somebody who was battling some non-COVID illness. Thank God it wasn't COVID. But especially, I'm just glad that he was, you know, not only able to be be able to play, but also do really well for. Yeah, him. and I don't, I don't, I highly doubt. I mean, Attaway seems like a really, really smart player. Seems like he's very well liked, um, and he's he was named a captain. I have seen nothing um, that would make me think that he was benched and and didn't start. So I think it probably sometimes they say it's an illness or whatever. We've seen it before where. Schmidt would just won't start a guy if he was late to practice or, you know, whatever the case may be. I, I highly, highly doubt um, that that was the case, but it is weird that he just came in and played 36 minutes. Um, he down the stretch, like you said, uh, he was four of 11, the entire game, 12 points, um, five boards, 10 boards. He had a double, double five on each five offensive, five defensive. Offensive and defensive. Yeah. So yeah, 10, 12 points, 10 boards, but it was down the stretch, the final four minutes that he really imposes will. And, and I think he won us that game. There was some bad shots. There was a couple bad possessions. I, I think Lofton may have turned it over or took a bad shot. Um, but it was Attaway. Every time we needed a big play offensive or defensive, he was the one that was there to hold our lead and win us that game. And just the final four minutes, he had a, an and one. He had a putback dunk. He blocked uh, Tavian Dunn-Martin on the defensive end and picked up the ball, and we went into transition. He got to the free free throw line two different times, uh, three of four in just the final four minutes. So he has played down the stretch every game but but Richmond, I believe, when uh, Roberts was in. But that just shows, like, you never know who it's going to be. It could be Lofton. It could be Holmes. Welch has had some good games down the stretch. This time it was Attaway. So this team's just so balanced, and it just happened to be Attaway who had the hot hand. And he 
He's a very, very smart, intelligent, good overall player that we need. Very well-rounded. He's exactly what we needed this year at the four. We've talked about it before. We don't have the depth on the team in terms of, you know, 10 guys, 11 guys like VCU or, or even LaSalle where you can go deep into the bench. But within our starting five, all five of our guys are pretty close to all-conference yeah. level. I mean, Lofton was first team last year. Oshun was, I believe, second team or third I think team? Third. I forgot. Third, yeah. Jaron Holmes is already being talked about as yep. being all-conference, and Welch and Attaway aren't much further away yeah. from there. You could probably argue maybe one of them could be on all defense, maybe Attaway. But the point is that all five of those guys are so talented where if one has an off night, then the other can mm-hmm. take over. Because Jaron Holmes had a bad night for his standards, at least this season, 3 of 14, only 8 points, 10 boards at least. But that's the thing. Jaron Holmes doesn't have to you know, worry too much about having a bad offensive night. He can just crash the boards and get 8 defensive boards like he right. did. Whereas Dom Welch, he was on triple-double watch for a second there. I think he he cooled off from it on the assists. He only ended with yeah. 4 assists, but he had 14 points, yeah. 9 boards. Hate going through the stats just like that, but that just shows how well-rounded the team is. And on any given night, somebody can go off. By the way, Kyle Lofton, a quiet 17 points. And by quiet, I mean it's just he's just consistently scoring. He didn't really have any surreal shots like he did against yep. Richmond. But I think that just, just shows that we got to have that that round one through five on in the starting five. Yeah. But the Attaway uh, illness, that, that, that did show there's a little bit of a hole. And God forbid somebody gets injured or something. Then we got to go to Vasquez and, and Shaw. The entire Bana community and Bana fan base was just holding their breath when Holmes went down under the basket. When he was, he was at a little bit of uh, a little oh, aggressive no. challenge by, uh, by a crazy eyes Michael Hughes there. Uh, and, and Holmes went down and was holding his knee that he wears that brace on. He, he looked like he was in pain. Um, when it's a knee like that, I mean, you never know how bad it would be. He went over to the table and within a minute he's sprinting up and down the sideline. And of course, within another minute, he's back in the game. No, no time wasted with Schmidt and these starters for sure. So it was very scary, but yeah, that is a reminder that if this team, a guy just rolls an ankle and is out for two or three weeks, that's a major problem when you only have five starters playing 85% of your minutes and three guys that are really playing on the bench. But yeah, I mean, Attaway, really, I, I do these player ratings. Attaway is my top-rated Bana player. Ocean's right behind him, then Holmes, then Lofton and Welch. They're all within one point of each other. And we have five guys in the top 25 of the conference, same with St. Louis. So, I mean, these guys are just playing phenomenal. These these five starters are just, it's a great mix. Going into this year, you couldn't have asked for more from the the starting position of the two and the four. We kind of wondered how we would be able to mix and match and plug in around Lofton, Welch, Oshun, our, our big three going into the season. It's now like a big five. Um, but we have certainly found an answer at those two positions. And if someone said that those guys are just as important as any of the other guys, you could make that argument. The Sword of Damocles! I think it also begs the question, who is going to be a sixth man? Because I can't see us going through three days at A-10s, which are in Richmond now, by the way. We'll get to that later. I can't see us playing 120 minutes in three games with all five guys playing like 110 plus minutes. That's That'd be insane. So I, I just looking at the talent on the court, I would think it would be Alejandro Vasquez, but... Something's just not 
clicking there. Like I know he's he's more than willing to pull from deep, but I, I don't see where he fits into the rotation that much beyond just giving guys a break. It will be very tough when we have to play back-to-back games. It's going to happen, and we've done it before, and, and it's like Schmidt's once you get deep into conference play, and especially in tournaments in the postseason, Schmidt's rotation goes from eight down to like seven. And it's very rare that even the eighth guy gets more than a couple minutes. Shaw is going to be that guy to come in for Oshun if Oshun needs it. And then I agree, Vasquez is going to be that sixth man. I think he can figure it out. He does have a lot of raw potential still. And you kind of wonder if in the back of his mind, he's worried about making mistakes because he is still kind of on a short leash. It, it seemed, I think he got hurt. He banged his hamstring or quad in the VCU game or else he would have played more. He did pretty pretty well uh, shooting the ball. Um, I can't remember if it was against Duquesne or VCU, but I thought VCU. It was VCU yeah. because he was, 0, he was 0-3 against Duquesne. Well, I mean the home game against Duquesne. It was in the it was in the Riley oh, okay. Center. Yeah, it was yeah, one yeah. of those that's one of those two games. So um, you kind of thought like maybe that's enough to give him the confidence. And Schmidt doesn't really have much of a choice. You know, it's him or Creel. Eddie Creel is not going to play much against zone defenses. It's going to depend on matchups more. The offensive potential is there. Defensively, a little bit of a liability, but. You know, I, I do like his game. He's not afraid to attack the hoop either. He seems like he does get out in transition, likes to draw contact under the rim if he can. So, you know, still young, hasn't played too much, but I, I'm kind of looking forward to Mason and some of these other pillow fighter type teams. If we do get a big lead, Schmidt's got to be smart with the minutes and give guys like yeah. Creel and Vasquez a lot of time. Definitely. I've always been a huge Alejandro fan, not even just because of the Lady Gaga memes, like we told uh, though on three bid league, but I think the talent is absolutely there. I mean, we saw in the games, like I'd have to go back through other games. I know for instance, Toronto is always going to be the number one thing that comes to mind with, with Alejandro. Yep. And I think with George Mason and what, you know, we're always saying what looks like, but what looks like St. Joe's next Wednesday with a potential game against St. Louis coming on February 6th, Super Bowl weekend, which that would be a hell of a weekend. I think those two games at home against two potential pillow fighters, like you said, I think you got to give Alejandro and Creel. And even I think you got to get Ocoli in there to, to really get some kind of game experience because these guys are not machines. Like they're going to have to get some time on the bench. They're going to commit fouls They're They could get injured. And I think I'm confident in all nine of those guys, even O'Coley, who's only played literally one yep. minute this year. Like we saw what he did his freshman year against Davidson on defense. He had a good performance and he's had some other good performances too, but he's played less and less and less over his career. I think you got to get him in the rotation, at least in these games against weaker teams, just so you're ready in case of an emergency and you got to play him. Fully agree. And like George Mason, if we want to get into that a little bit, I mean, they, Tyler Kolick is playing shooting guard and small forward. He's that two, three guy that they're relying on a little more, even more than, you know, a Jamal Hartwell or uh, Javon Green does play a lot of minutes, but you know, it's, it's Tyler Kolick out there quite a bit. I've watched George Mason a few times. He's a freshman and I don't know. I don't think he's super athletic. It seems like a freshman on George Mason. Um, he's been playing very well and he, 
could probably be in the discussion for all rookie this year in the conference. But I mean, again, a freshman on George Mason, you would think it's that's a time when Creel and Vasquez and O'Coley can kind of get their feet wet out there as long as we are, you know, have a comfortable lead, which I hope we will. Um, other than that, not just the matchups on the court, but it just seems like Schmidt has Dave Paulson's number. I don't think Dave Paulson has beat us since he joined George Mason. I'll have to double check that. I thought I saw he's like one in seven. Did he? Be did wrong. they beat I us? Think I, saw, I think I saw a Mason fan say that they were one in seven with Paulson under. Oh, okay. Against us. Well, still pretty bad. And, you know, we just have their number for whatever reason. I know Mason fans don't really care for his X's and O's, his he doesn't ever seem to make halftime adjustments, which is where we've seen Schmidt thrive from time to time. Um, so even if it is close in the first half, you know, I think it was last year or two years ago at George Mason, they came out red hot. They hit like nine straight ba- baskets. And then we ended up winning. They're up 15, maybe in the first half. We ended up winning by like 20 or 25. I would have to go back and look at that too. Um, yeah. But that's just an example of Schmidt's halftime adjustments. And I think, you know, if that does happen again, we do get a big lead. That's when Vasquez and Creel and Shaw and Alpha can get some time against these guys. Here's the three. Vasquez, that's good. Right, and we'll get to George Mason in a little bit. But first, I want to plug something that we're both doing for the podcast, especially all our big fans, for the one-year anniversary of SB Unfurled. And friends, clap it up for that. We have made it one year. I know it feels like we've lived through five years since January 30th, but it has been one year. We dropped it on January 30th, 2020. So what we want to do, I know there are some fans who are also like us, Levitard Show fans, and I thought, you know, for our one-year anniversary, let's do something like the Sueys on the Levitard Show that we're going to call the Schmitties, the Schmitty Awards. And what this is is we're going to pick out some of our favorite moments for the first year of the podcast. I'm just looking at some of the categories we're going to have. We're going to have like best cold open, best caller, best guest, best A10 fan that we talked to because we especially talked to a lot of A10 fans last year. I think it will be a good recap of what we've done in a year, how much things have changed, especially the pre-pandemic podcast that we had out. Yeah. So we'll be looking out for that. We're going to show you some little bit of clips during next week's podcast and then we will have some polls up for you at SB Unfurled on Twitter that you can go ahead and vote on, and we'll we'll decide. I know we're just kind of patting ourselves on the back, taking a little bit of a victory lap for one year, but it was a hell of a year to get through, right? Best guess coming down to Ryan Paleo and Captain Beer. Ooh, I was thinking that they wouldn't qualify for guests because I thought they would be more of A10 fans. We, yeah, that's what we'll have to figure out. Yeah, I want to see some kind of showdown between Ryan Paleo and Nicholson. Who would win? Oh, man. <laughs> or, yeah, I mean, Woj versus Captain Beer. Oh, that would be good. That would be that would be a good showdown. Yeah, does Woj count as an A-10 fan or a guest? I think he's a little bit of both. Guest, probably. I think our most loaded category is going to be best cold open because yeah, that's... we had some good ones. I mean, I, I got a list of like 11 here. I think we've done at least one more that I would want to have in the running, but we got to whittle that list down. Yeah. This will be cool. Let us know what you think about it. If you have any suggestions for what you want to see as part of this, maybe we'll have something like worst prediction or something. I don't know. I'm going to have to listen back to all the pods and try to figure out what we can get out of them. But 
that's what I want to mention. You know, we've had it one year. Hopefully we actually have one full complete season under our belts because the first year hasn't even had an A-10 tournament. (laughs) And this one isn't even really a complete season. I mean, we will end up playing hopefully and finishing with a tournament somewhere. Hopefully it's in Indy. We'll see. But yeah, I mean, last year we played more games, but it, it just felt kind of empty at the end of the year. This year, kind of weird start, but now we're rolling. So two very different different seasons so far. Yeah, and Davidson had to go on pause. George Mason, George Washington had to go on pause. We had a pause at the beginning, but we've been on our best behavior, knock on wood, yeah. since uh, since November. So all these other teams got to get their act together, and yeah. we got to get these games in, though. Are you worried about students being back started they started back on monday do you think that affects anything it could i mean bonas does testing as far as i'm concerned i mean i'm a little more worried about you know all the prayers go out to dr DePero, yeah who's still in the hospital with covid right in terms of you know students bringing it back on campus i maybe i think i think we have as much as we have in place we didn't see an outbreak at bonas until the very end of fall semester so I think maybe with some lessons learned there because some students had some rightful complaints about the administration. We don't really know because we're not students, but from what we've heard, there's some issues and you know, it's a learning process for everybody all across the world. I mean, we've seen the, we've seen the government do some far worse things, but I think I have hope that this, the campus will stay pretty safe for the most part. I don't know about you. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. And we don't know really what went down with the team as far as COVID either. I mean, St. Louis, I I think Travis Ford said like all their guys or 90% of their guys got it. So he said 80% of the team had it. Cause remember his, his, dis- his head was on our yeah. Duquesne Friday right, 10 game. Yep. He popped up. I'm like, why is Travis Ford on the screen? And then we went on like a 10 hour run and I'm like, keep Travis Ford on the screen. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he said like 80% of St. Louis was out. Yeah. So if that's the case with our team and a bunch of our guys got it, we did have a pretty long pause. It was more than two weeks. And Schmidt did say several of our guys got it and they came back at different times. So if, if a bunch of our guys did get it, luckily they got through it and are looking good and healthy and they're healthy now. And that would mean also that they can't get it again until after the season too. something to think about. Yeah, maybe it's always always a tricky game with this. You just want to make sure everybody's safe regardless because one person gets it and that's everything. And plus, you don't even want to get it no matter what staying on the court, off the court or just not getting it. Yeah, I don't mean, you know, just because you had it, you can get reckless. I just mean you can't test positive, really. So that will limit chances for testing positive. But, you know, there's still tier one personnel and people around the team and if what happened to UMass um, or yeah, UMass happens to us, you know, they were exposed to Davidson on Sunday and out of an abundance of caution, they had to pause a game that could happen to us. We could play against a team that tests positive a couple days later and out of an abundance of caution, we would then pause, you know, I mean, a lot of different things can happen. Yeah. One final thing before we move on to George Mason, one final COVID lecture thingy here. Whether it's getting COVID and being healthy or getting the vaccine, neither of those things are like the Mario star. You're not invincible. Yeah. <laughs> so George Mason, we are playing them one week early, like we mentioned, because of COVID and UMass having that game canceled or postponed. I always want to say canceled, but we don't even know what's canceled and what's not canceled. But we're playing George Mason on Saturday, as far as we know right now. George Mason has had an 
odd season because they nearly lost to a D2 school to open it up. Yeah, Queens. They have played some tough games against Dayton and VCU. They beat UMass in double overtime, which is their best win of the season. What do you think about George Mason from what you've seen? Because I've been watching George Mason a lot in the beginning of the season. Actually, I haven't watched too much of them lately. The last game I saw was their 20-point loss to Rhode Island at Rhodey. So what what have you seen out of George Mason? George Mason is a team that always seems like they have a couple guys coming into the season who could be, you know, maybe third team all A-10 if they really blow up, second team all A-10. I can't remember if Otis Livingston and Justin Kyer were ever second team. But, you know, those are really good players, and that's what George Mason has again this year, I thought, going in. You know, Jordan Miller, Javon Green are both really – good individual players. AJ Wilson, a very good defensive player, very athletic, very one of the best blockers, shot blockers in the country. And then they have Tyler Kolick, who's a freshman who looks very good. Like I said earlier, could be a a potential all rookie team candidate. So they have some good individual talent. I just don't know how much they, (laughs) I mean, I do know how much they put it together and it's not very much. It doesn't seem like they're super cohesive, uh, and you know I, I do think that Paulson holds it back a little bit, and I think their fans would agree. I don't know if this is his last season with them. Um, I they do have a couple players who worry me, but then when I think about our team, I'm like they sh- probably shouldn't even be in this game. Like I, I think we match up very well with them. Jordan Miller, like I said, he does worry me. He's you know six six, usually plays the fork and slide down to the three a little bit. I think he's a, a good matchup for Attaway and even Welch. So, and then you have guys like Javon Green, good shooter, but sometimes a little inconsistent. I think Lofton will play very well against that type of player as well as Jamal Hartwell. Um, so I, I think we match up really good against them. And then most importantly, I mean, we just seem to have their number. They're just, they just haven't ever been a very, very difficult matchup for us. So I think that continues this weekend. Yeah. yeah. Other than that, I think they, I think we mentioned it earlier, they started out like fifth, up 15, nothing last year down in Fairfax. Right. Yep. Other than that, we've controlled them a lot lately. I think it's interesting, even though it was supposed to be virtual alumni weekend next weekend, I think it was interesting that we had that game on that weekend just to kind of be a little bit of an easier win for the even virtual alumni weekend. According to Kempom, we're 11-point favorites, and I'm just looking at some of the stats. They're actually towards the bottom in the country in free throw percentage. I think you touched on it with the matchups it seems like more most of the guys are a little worse than everybody else we have i think aj wilson is somebody to really watch out for even though i think he's a little overrated by a lot of the a10 brass just because i think sometimes you want like one all-star on each team or one all all a10 representative on each team and it's like oh aj wilson he's just as good as oshun or hassan french or whoever and yeah. he's a step below, although on defense with blocking, he's absolutely the class of the conference. Yeah. And that could be an issue if he is the four, because George Mason does have a few big lineups that they can throw at you. Just looking at the list, I believe uh, Greg Clix will play a lot. Sometimes he's Oduro. another big man. Oduro is the one who has really stepped up. Yeah, sorry. He has 10.1 points per game, six boards. 
Oduro would be Josh Oduro would be their center in that situation, and that's a big lineup, and that's almost off the top of my head. I can't think of anybody bigger than that lineup other than St. Louis with what they could throw at us. So that would be something to watch out for. But yeah. I think the guard play is better. I think Kolek is still a little young. He can, you know, get open from three. But other than that, I, I'm not too worried about him. And then Javon Green, Jordan Miller, they're they're talented players, but I would much rather have Holmes and Lofton or Lofton and Welch. Right. And and I'm going back and looking at our history with them because I was curious. It looks like we've won, let's see, one, two, three, our last four and five, six, seven, eight, nine. So we've won nine out of 10 against them. But here are the point differentials in our wins. 9, 12, 11, 23, 16, 10, 19, 20, and 12. We've beat them by double digits every yeah. time but one. And that's a, that was a nine-point game. And I remember even like Nelson Caputo completely going off against them one game. I'll have to try to find that. But um, yeah, so this is a game that maybe like a Vasquez goes off and finds his rhythm. I would love that. I would love if Vasquez or anybody on the bench would go off against them just to get some some kind of performance out of the bench like we talked about earlier. It's necessary to get these guys going against George Mason and St. Joe's because you can't expect to run five guys and win eight tens. You got to no. have a six guy. You got to have a seventh person to at least do something, even if it's five minutes. So I yeah. think that will be important. I trust Mark Schmidt as a coach way more. I think our guys are very cohesive. I can't remember the last time I've seen us have this much chemistry just yeah. in terms of passing the ball. I think you see on these backdoor cuts that they run where sometimes the person at like the high post isn't even looking and hits Lofton or Welch or whoever's cutting into the paint. I think that is something that is really remarkable that we haven't really done before. I think that's another wrinkle Schmidt has thrown into the off, uh, offense, or maybe that's a wrinkle that we couldn't do because we didn't have the right personnel. But because we have all these six five slashers, they're able to actually pull that off. So that is something I think that we will focus on is really continue to pass the ball around and yeah. get guys open, whether it's down low or if it's the pass along the baseline to Attaway, which sucks in the defense or of course your typical often drive that sucks in the defense. Yeah. And, and I think like, like we talked about in the three bid league podcast, we really, we've been pretty bad from deep, but we've been very good defending the three. So I, I mean, one of the best teams in the entire country in three point defense. Um, so even if we're not hitting this team, like you said, everything you just said is, is right. Because we have the makeup to, I think, and I hope I don't eat crow and have to come back and listen <laughs> to this and cry. I think more than even some of the the great teams that we've had in the last 10 years, this team has that makeup where it's it's almost landmine proof. And I'm knocking on wood mm. right now because we just have like very good defense, very good balance. Those things travel um experience and we have a very patient team with Lofton as our 40 minute quarterback so you know defense is going to travel anywhere um all this experience these guys played together a lot and you know just 
we get into our half court sets and we, you know, we, we do exactly what we need to do. Um, and we've figured it out every, every time. I mean, that Rhode Island game, we didn't have homes. So I think that loss has a little bit of an asterisk next to it in my mind. So like this team, I think is built to, you know, beat all of these pillow fighters. And I, I hope I don't have to sweat one out. No, I hope you don't either. Cause I'll be sweating it out too. And I don't want to bore everybody with all the statistics, but I'm just looking at the part on Kempom when it says when George Mason has the ball in Bona defense and it's all a bunch of green led by our 11th best three-point percentage on defense. Yeah. Yeah. Effective field goal, 22. Efficiency, 40 seconds. So we're in the top 50 in quite a few of these metrics on defense. I think that suffocating defense will come back that we saw Mm-hmm. really we've seen it in every game even the Rhode Island game even the Duquesne game where we weren't impressed with the performance I, I don't think we've had a what I would call a bad defensive performance this season in nine games and I think nine no. games is enough of a sample size to say yeah we got a pretty damn good defense yeah and if you look at the conference only stats I mean we have the the best defense in the conference, you know, depending on what you look at, but the efficiency, it says we have the best defense in the conference. We've done better than St. Louis. We've done better than VCU. We're in the top three or four in almost every category. And that's amazing when you don't have a true four, I think, uh, because Adaway is playing a little bit out of position. So, you know, we are outside of Oshun, a pretty small team, but we have just been able to figure it out and we use our athleticism and you know the guys are buying into Schmidt's schemes they understand it very well and I'm I'm super excited to see you know what what this season holds honestly because this this team can win anywhere I think rich what rich men rich what rich men we know where the season goes and that is two A10s that's the ultimate goal other than of course the NCAA tournament which by the way have fun checking out all these brackets on Bracketology websites. It's it's so much fun to kill the time with seeing the Bonnies in 10th and 11th as the seeds in the East yeah. and the South and the Midwest. But before, before that, it's all about A-10s. And we mentioned it a little bit earlier, but A-10s is reportedly on Wednesday night going to be split between VCU and Richmond. It looks like the pillow fight will be at Richmond. We won't worry about that. The second round, hopefully we don't have to worry about that because we have a double bye. (laughs) That's going to be a split between Richmond and VCU. And then the quarterfinals also split between Richmond and VCU before the semifinals and finals are going to be on campus at the University of Richmond. The Robin Center will be the home of the A-10 championship this year. Unfortunately, our only A-10 push did not work. They were not convinced by the squirrel statues or Merton's heart or the wings at Randy's. <laughs> what do you think about the setup about A-10s? I think it's going to be a very interesting situation because, A, I can't remember. I don't think we've had A-10s on a home court in, God, like 20 years. Maybe like Dayton or Xavier hosted it back around 2000. And then B, what do you think of how they're styling it with two courts? Not much of a surprise to me, I think. Um, it seemed like people were saying VCU or Richmond were the front runners uh, more so than Davidson. Uh, the Atlantic 10's headquarters is in Newport News, Virginia, about a, an hour from, you know, a, an hour from Richmond. So 
all of those media members and people who work in the A- A10 won't have to make much of a trip. The women's tournament is also at VCU. So that just helps yeah. the logistics behind it. And that's the ultimate thing. Right. You want to actually pull this thing off because they are still, as far as we know, they're still going to have 14 teams. Yeah, that's what it, it sounded like. It said... Uh, the pillow was, fight is pandemic resistant. <laughs> Norlander claims that, you know... Yeah, that's right. This is all reported by Matt Norlander. Gotta give him credit. <laughs> the bracket will look exactly the same. So we sounds like we will have a pillow fight. We didn't technically get out of the pillow fight last year. Did we complete it in Fordham? We know we, we did. Played yeah, because Fordham won the last game. They, won, yeah. they played two games. There were two yeah. games completed. The both pillow fight games. Fordham was the last one. Therefore... Fordham is a 10 champions. They're defending champs. Unless you go by our Corona Cup, in which case Rhode Island is the champion. True. And and that would mean that we have gone to the A-10 championship two years in a row, and we haven't won. So this is the year, third time's a charm, that we Uh, can uh, pull it off. Halfway to the Bills. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, I mean, Richmond, as far as I'm concerned, it, it... it's a good decision, I think. Uh, I didn't think it would end up in Dayton. There were some rumblings that St. Louis was trying to throw their hat in the ring, but um, logistically, that that doesn't make much sense. So, and doing it at two different arenas will allow you to have some separation and you know limit limit contact between teams and all that stuff. If you really want to look into going very very safe with contact and and protocols. Look into the NCAA's new protocols for going to Indianapolis. It is very, very interesting. You have to test negative every day for a week for the yeah. NCAA tournament. You can't eat on the airplane. You have to wear goggles really? on the airplane. You have to wear a face mask over goggles. You have They have the oh. seating arrangements all figured out. You basically can't really leave your room once you're in Indianapolis. Like you said, you have to test negative seven days in a row. Um, there's even more crazy, not crazy, but there's even more, um, extreme protocols than that. If you, if you look into it, uh, but you know, hopefully this can go off without a hitch because the one thing I thought they should do is have an eight, eight team tournament, you know, teams nine through 14 aren't going to win this thing. All you're doing is not only risking exposure, but you're risking, one of the top teams like Bana's or St. Louis dropping to, you know, a a bottom feeder this year. So I thought, you know, do Friday, Saturday, Sunday, eight teams, keep it nice and simple. I thought that would have been, you know, no bad losses. That, that would have been my choice, but you know, it sounds like they're going to try to do 14 teams. I, I'm wondering if, if Richmond gets the championship, I, it sounds like no matter what they would play at home, but I don't know why that, wouldn't be, you know, a little wrinkle in it. You know, if Richmond gets there, you play at VCU to have a little bit more of a neutral court. Yeah. By the way, it sounds, it's not, it's uncertain whether or not VCU will play at VCU or Richmond will play at Richmond in those earlier rounds when it's split. I mean, if there's, if what Norlander's reporting is true and there's semifinals are going to be at Richmond, the university of Richmond, then they have to be playing at home. Like there's no way of getting around that. So that's, that's, how that would work at first i was confused why they have two arenas but it makes sense when i feel like it'll be like the normal noon game will be at richmond and the 230 will be at vcu and then at 630 yeah. richmond and then at nine vcu or vice versa they'll they'll be able to split that up because while the, i'm okay with the 14 team tournament still just because from what i've seen in most sports even indoor sports 
there is limited evidence of substantial transmission of the virus during a game. It's all the other stuff after a game. It's almost like when you're flying, the airplane itself is not usually the issue. It's all the stuff around the airplane. It's usually all the stuff around the game. So that's why I think with the way this is done with the two the two arenas, I think that'll that'll work out. And maybe there will be a few fans. Who knows? Hopefully they don't just give it to the Peppas. <laughs> that would suck <laughs> if they just gave them the Peppas all the tickets. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. We'll have to see. <laughs> And I think what you could see in the second and third rounds is just the top half of the bracket at VCU and the bottom half at Richmond or vice versa. Not sure exactly, but that's, you know, that's how the bracket is formed. Uh, The top half is noon and two 30 and the bottom half is six and eight 30. So, I mean, that's, that's probably what they're planning on doing. Right. Oh, we haven't heard that music in a little while. It is time for your final forecast. Final forecast today. We are looking at, we have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six games scheduled at this moment for the weekend. We have one game. percent chance of all these games actually happening. We have yeah. to actually have the four. We need a COVID forecast for all these games. Absolutely. A higher chance that one of these gets postponed than any of the precipitation that I'm seeing. On this. Um, this is brought to you by Aladdin's Castle in Olean. We have Friday 10, our Friday 10 action, our only game, of course, on Friday. And it's a good one, I think. St. Louis, the Billikens, your last place Billikens, going to Richmond, Virginia, like we were just talking about. This is at 6.30 ESPN2. Even though it's down in Virginia, it's going to be 30 degrees, clear skies. Um, so 6.30, a little early for uh, Friday. Call me night in the mid-Atlantic. Exactly. Saturday, we have four games for you. LaSalle goes to Richmond v- to play VCU. This is on NBC Sports, 1 o'clock. It's going to be 38 degrees, mostly sunny in Richmond for that one. Oh, not going to warm up much more. <laughs> no, not really. Pretty pretty chilly around the, the East Coast this weekend. But we have a doubleheader on CBS Sports. This is where we're going to be tuned in. George Mason coming to beautiful, wonderful, snubbed by the A-10, Olean, New York. CBS Sports, 2 o'clock in Olean. It's going to be 20 degrees, partly cloudy. No snow Saturday. No snow. Uh, Could could get snow Sunday, but Saturday's looking clear. That, after St. Bonaventure hopefully takes care of business against George Mason, will roll right into Rhode Island at Dayton, 4 o'clock, CBS Sports. In Dayton, Ohio, it's going to be kind of gross. 36 degrees, chance of rain and snow mix. A mixture. Dayton. Oh, I'd rather have our weather. 20 and warm, or 20 and sunny. I'll sacrifice the 15 degrees for clear skies for sure. Um, and then to end the night, St. Joe's at Duquesne. This is in Pittsburgh, Moon, Lemoyne, I'm not sure. Um, it's in Western PA. This is the last LaRoche game. I'd rather play at Jay LaRoche than play at LaRoche again. <laughs> uh, 7 o'clock p.m. This is on ESPN+. Plus. It is going to be 27 degrees, mostly cloudy in Western PA. That will end the action Saturday. And then Sunday, VCU just announced uh, Wednesday is going to play a back-to-back, not against LaSalle, but they will play Fordham on Sunday. Fordham will go to Richmond. Uh, It's going to be 38 degrees and rainy on Sunday in Virginia. This is at 5 p.m. on ESPN+. 
And that will end our weekend A10 action. And this has been the final forecast brought to you by Aladdin's Castle. That Fordham VCU game is going to be interesting. VCU is taking a bit of a gamble, it sounds like. You tweeted this on yeah. Wednesday night that it looks like they're trying to fit in their back to back with Richmond and possibly open up February 17th, where we could play Richmond and VCU would play UMass, who they're supposed to play on Wednesday. Right. I mean, I was looking at that decision and I said, wait a minute, they play LaSalle the day before. Why are they playing Richmond? Is LaSalle, the LaSalle game canceled? But in that announcement, they said LaSalle is on as scheduled. We are playing back-to-back LaSalle versus Fordham. I agree with you. It is risky. I would not like this at all if the Bonnies did it. VCU fans are cocky and so is the administration apparently. I know. I, I don't know how much of this was the A-10. You feel like they would have had to clear it with VCU and told them this is what our plan is in the future. We can move slide Richmond right up into that spot that Fordham is in, and then you can play that game against UMass that just got canceled. This will also let St. Bonaventure play Richmond. Um, so I, I wondered why they did it, and I did a little digging. And my my The Sherlock Holmes in me found <laughs> out uh, you know that, that could be what they were doing. Yeah, maybe. I think they're just I think they're being arrogant. They're just gonna try to sneak in that Fordham win and it may be a Fordham loss. Maybe I don't even remember the coach of new coach of Fordham's name, but maybe the ghost of Jeff Newbauer will be there and get them a win. <laughs> After what they look like today, it doesn't look like it. Yeah, probably not. Well, thank you all so much for joining us here on SB Unfurled and Friends. If you don't follow us on Twitter, follow us at SB Unfurled at Lil Bonnet X. Make sure you check all of your podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud. If you don't already follow us there, go ahead. And if you can rate us on some of them, hey, why don't you give us some five stars, por favor. We will see you back next week after this George Mason game. Hopefully we're talking about St. Joe's and possibly St. Louis. We don't know. That's what the, the scuttlebutt is, according to SBU TV. So maybe that's what it will be. Hopefully we got two games to talk about for our one-year anniversary special. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah.